Please stand to your feet this morning as we begin our time in the Word. Next Sunday, 2 p.m., is the homeless outreach. If you've not yet brought sleeping bags or socks or beanies, what else? Gloves, hats, dark colored, dark colored. Uh, you can bring some hygiene items as well if you'd like. Uh, I almost said toothpicks. Toothbrushes, um, toothpaste, you, whatever you would use at home, they need out on the streets as well. So uh, specifically lotion, that's good. Uh, so feel free to bring that. We will be starting promptly at 2 p.m. after church next Sunday. If you have not participated in this, I will tell you um, it's safe, as safe as, as we can make it. It's safe, uh, but we are going, probably the biggest threat is I-35. We are going down I-35, and we'll be in downtown Austin, and uh, we just always have a great time, and there, there are wonderful uh, conversations and testimonies that take place. So I hope you'll join us 2 p.m. next Sunday. Uh, make sure if you're not able to make it at 2 p.m., at least contribute something at the table here as you enter. I'm excited about today. Today is Sunday, January 28th, 2024, and you are still here. God is good. Amen. We have this little saying at our church. I'd love for you to say it with me today. Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Now, I've been talking over the last couple of weeks about fasting. Fasting is where you stop eating. The word fast translated means you close the mouth or cover the mouth. Um, a biblical fast involves food. There are other methods of fasting where we can honor God, and we've, we've done that, um, whether it's TV, social media. Our culture, our generation has many opportunities to honor God uh, through shutting things out. But a true biblical fast, by the biblical definition, involves food. And so covering of the mouth, not eating uh, certain foods or any food, it's however the Spirit of God uh, prepares your heart to engage in the fast. I will tell you, I started out only with one sermon about fasting, and this is now sermon three on fasting. Has it been okay? that we've just taken our time. Okay, no guarantees that I won't talk about fasting again next week. I might. I don't know. I'm just kind of into it right now. It's moving me right now. And I just, I'm excited about what God is showing us and doing in our church. We started out with a seven-day fast. I was going to do a 21-day fast. And, and um, I didn't. We've done a 21-day fast before, but I was like, no, we'll just do a seven-day fast because it's only like one topic I'm trying to hit. I'm not doing a full series on fasting. Now, I wish I had done a 21-day, uh, maybe the Daniel fast. Daniel fast is where you don't eat any meat, you don't eat any bread, you don't eat anything basically that tastes good. Um, so maybe next year we'll do a 21-day Daniel fast all together and and that would be super fun. But we started out with a seven-day fast, okay? I, I fasted all day except ate dinner. My wife fasted sugar all day, which is hard, hard. I, I did sugar as well. Uh, but then she fasted every night dinner. And so 
I made the mistake of preaching on my sermon that if your spouse is fasting dinner, don't expect them to cook. And so the first night of fasting, I was like, so what are we eating for dinner? Because, you know, I've been fasting all day. I'm ready to eat. And she's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm fasting dinner. And I'm like, well, do you want to test that willpower and discipline and see, just see? And she's like, well, I would. But the preacher yesterday said... So for a week straight, I was making dinner, and then she got to take those leftovers to work when she was eating the next day. And she said, you know, I feel like the Lord is calling me to fast another seven days. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I have decided, I have decided that I'm going to start fasting the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, because I, fasting just should be a, a natural rhythm of our Christian life. Um, whenever we face trials, tribulations, problems, health issues, the Bible very clearly says that fasting is one of the tools in our belt to help combat whatever we're going through. So, you know, as someone in your family is sick or there's relational issues or you have mental challenges, whatever it is, always pull out fasting. Bring that to the table and just see what that will do for you. But I want to do something consistently in my own life. So I've decided... The first Wednesday of every month, I'm just going to fast, do a water fast from sunset the day before to sunset on Wednesday. And the first Wednesday of that month, we have Awaken here. So I will break my fast at Awaken with an hour of prayer with my community. And then I will break my fast with whatever wonderful queso people bring out there. Um, any kind of snacks and chips and board games, whatever the fun is that we have at family night, that will be a break to my fast. So I invite you to join me if you want to, if you just want to set some kind of rhythm. Uh, but I believe that fasting can change our life. How many of you, um, bad question, I don't want to put on a public display of how many have fasted. So I'm going to just take a step back from that. And I want to honor the sacredness of what you've been through. But if you have been fasting, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, even if you made mistakes, if you ate that Snickers when no one was watching, if you, if you had trouble with the social media, whatever you encountered on your fast, understand God isn't so much concerned with the destination. He's concerned with the journey. And so pick yourself up, continue to carry on, all right? If you've not yet fasted, maybe you'll choose to fast this week as we continue talking about fasting. I want you to turn to your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7. Verse 13 says, Now King Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. Now King Solomon sent and brought Haram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Nephtali. And his father was a man of Tyre, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. Okay, so we see here in the first two verses, uh, there's an artist, a craftsman, Haram. Haram has a dad who is a bronze worker, and he comes to King Solomon, and he starts on this journey of doing bronze work, okay? 
verses 15 through 20 talk about the pillars that Haram made. He cast these massive pillars out of bronze. These pillars are going to be used in Solomon's temple. They were 18 cubits high and 12 cubits around. Now, a cubit, if you don't know what a cubit is, if you just bend your arm, it goes approximately from the crook of your elbow right here to the tip of your longest finger. Now, that's different for different people based on if you're like me and you have monkey arms. I have really long arms. It's hard to find any clothes that fit me. My arms are longer than the average bear. Um, so this is probably longer than a cubit, but for the most part, a cubit is about a foot and a half, okay? So these pillars that were made by Hiram were approximately 27 to 30 feet tall. That's big, okay? And they were 18 feet in diameter. I'm approximately six foot tall on a good day. At least that's what my license says. I'm six feet tall, and that would be three of me around. So if I were to lay around the column, it would take three trays for the diameter of the column. So they're pretty, pretty hefty and very tall. And on top of the pillars, we learn in the following verses, if you read it, there were capitals or crest in the shape of lilies, lilies. And they were four cubits or six feet tall. So there were lilies the size of tray on top of 30 foot tall pillars. Are you getting a visual? Okay. Verse 21 through 22. Then he set up the pillars by the vestibule or the foyer of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Yahin. And he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. The tops of the pillars were in the shape of what? Lilies. So the work of the pillars was finished. Some translation says the tops of the pillars were lily work. Lily work. The title of my sermon today is Remember the Lily Work. Remember the Lily Work. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. God, I thank you for this example in scripture of Haram and building Solomon's temple, the bronze work that he did. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to our hearts today. God, that you would help us to glean from your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. 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 Before you sit down, I want you to turn to three or four people and say, there's something about those lilies, and then you may be seated. Lilies are my wife's favorite flowers. I learned, I'm going on 30 years of marriage this year. Yes, thank you. That's a significant deal. Thank you. Thanks. 30 years. And about, I learned probably the most important lesson of my marriage about a year and a half ago. And that is when I buy my wife flowers, as long as there's at least one lily in it, they're great flowers. If... Now, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to make her feel or look like a flower snob because she's definitely not. Are you? Yeah, she kind of is. <laughs> kind of is. She was a flower, what do you call it, arranger for a number of years. She was a florist for a number of years. So she knows her flowers. And I, 
many times throughout my marriage, I will bring her flowers that I'm proud of, and she's like, those are trash flowers. Those are cheap, I can tell just by looking at them. I mean, thank you for the thought, but I need to teach you what real flowers look like. And so I've learned, I've learned that lilies make the difference. Can I, is that right, babe? Lilies make the difference. There can be trash flowers in there, in the mix. That's okay, it's okay. If that's what I can afford, that's what I can afford. But I'm going to afford at least one lily because lilies make the difference. Now, you'll notice in our text today that these pillars that Haram was building, the pillars weren't complete until the lilies were added up top. In fact, I'll just read that final verse again. It says, so the work of the pillars was complete. The tops of the pillars were in the shape of lilies, so the work of the pillars was finished. Now let's talk for a moment about the temple that Solomon built. The temple that Solomon built needed skills work, skilled workers. It took approximately seven and a half years to build this temple. There were 880,000 who worked in the rock quarries, quarries to build this temple. There were 120,000 in all who helped to build the temple. Uh, it was an incredible building. It was a work of art, really. It was amazing. I, if you just look at what the Bible says, how it was constructed, it would be somewhat difficult for us today to match that, but it was done by Solomon. It was a work of art. And we learn in our text that one of the skilled craftsmen that helped out was Haram. Haram. Some texts say H-U-R-A-M. Some texts say H-I-R-A-M. But the correct pronunciation is Haram. Haram, okay? Haram. Haram is a man uh, that you and I should get to know because there's something very fascinating about what he did. Haram had a mom who was an Israelite. She was faithful. She followed God. She was a woman of faith. But his father was a pagan. His father was not an Israelite. He was a bronze worker. In fact, he was an idol worshiper. Not only was he an idol worshiper, but he used his skill of bronze making to create idols to be worshipped. So Haram has lineage that, that kind of splits in two. On one side, he's got somebody pouring faith into him. And on the other side, he's got pagan culture being poured into him by a dad who is very skilled. So we see from our text that Haram knows how to work with bronze. He knows how to build stuff with bronze. So obviously, he learned the craft from dad. But we also see that Haram wants to use that talent and that skill and that gift and that trade, not just to build idols to be worshipped. He wants to use it to build the temple for God. So clearly, he's getting things brought down from his mom. So he uses his talent and gifting to build, not just for anything, but for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to show you a picture of what we believe Solomon's temple looks like, if we can have that displayed. Solomon's temple looks a lot like the tabernacle that Moses would use that was portable. Um, by the way, the tabernacle and the temples that are built both of them, they have the same kind of layout. They reflect what we believe heaven is going to be like. That's a whole other series that we could talk about maybe later. Uh, but Haram begins to create these pillars that were set out in front of the temple of Solomon. Do you see those two tall pillars there at, at the front entrance? Yes? 
Okay, that's what our text is talking about, these pillars made of bronze. These bronze pillars were overlaid with gold, and they were massive, massive. Even if at the lowest number, 27 feet tall, before the lilies start, that's really tall. If you walk up to the front of the temple, you see the steps, you walk to the the base of the pillar, It's so tall that maybe I can't even really see what's on top because it's so big around and it's so tall. I mean, I I wish we had a a picture of a man standing at the base of the pillar right there just to see what the difference looks like. There is. See, see, this proves my point. He's so small I can't even see him. But for real? Oh, he's on the, okay, yeah. So you get a good, a good idea uh, of just how tall these things are. Now, just so that you know, on the left, the left pillar is called Boaz, and the right is called Yahin. And if you look at the names of those meanings, the, na- <laughs> the meanings of those names, one of them means, in him is strength, and the other is, he shall establish. Okay. So in him is strength. In him we shall be established. These are the pillars that Haram is building. Just stay with me for a moment. Because these massive pillars were not complete until the decoration of the lily was made on top. So Haram created a decoration, a lily work, as some translations call it. A lily work on top of massive pillars. And this is what it It looks like right here. That's the lily work on massive pillars that nobody, that nobody could ever see up close. He spent hours and days, weeks and months of incredibly intense, tedious work that nobody could even see. The pillars were grand. The pillars were amazing. But he spent a ton of time on these lilies that no one could ever just peek at and touch and look at. Now, I I don't know about you, but I don't decorate my attic. Nobody sees my attic. Nobody decorates their attic, unless you're just weird. Maybe you live in your attic. If you live in your attic, okay, fine. You have a right to decorate your attic. But if you look inside of my attic, Rhonda, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the trusses and the, the frame for the house. You're going to find um, insulation that really needs to be redone. Um, you're going to find a lamp that belongs upstairs, but none of my kids ever know how it ends up in the attic. You're going to find boxes of things, you're going to find at least two or three tents that don't work, and the poles are mixed up, so you don't know which tent does work and which tent doesn't work. So they just are, they're in my attic, not even organized. They're just in my attic. You're not going to find Christmas decor in my attic because the Christmas decor will get lost in my attic. It's in the garage. That's where you find my Christmas decor. But I don't decorate the attic. Anyone here decorate your attic? No. Why? Because no one will see it. It just doesn't really make sense. And so I, I keep wondering, why is it that Haram put more effort into the lily work that no one will ever see than he did the pillars 
that the whole town could lean on and touch and inspect and walk up to. I think that, I think that Haram understood that what he was building was for God and what he was doing was for God. That from the ground up, people couldn't appreciate it, but he was doing something that from heaven down would be noticed. Fasting is building the unseen. That's why I paused when I, I almost said, how many of you are fasting? Because I'm just so proud of everyone that's taken that journey, but it's not something that we really need to share. Fasting is building the unseen. You know, these pillars that Haram built, they were tall, they were strong, but they were not complete until there was something going on in the unseen. 1 Samuel 16 tells us that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There are a lot of ways that you and I can judge the world. We can judge our family, our friends, our co-workers, our boss, determine how qualified they are, if they're, they're worthy of our respect or of our honor. You know, we all judge others, and if you don't, you're a liar. We all judge other people until we rein it back in and remind ourselves that we probably shouldn't be sitting in the judgment See, But here's what I do know. We get so used to looking at the external of everything that we forget. God doesn't even care about that. He looks at the heart. God doesn't care if your makeup looks great today. He doesn't care if you ironed your clothes today. I mean, if you're my kid, iron your clothes. I'd appreciate that. But God doesn't care. God doesn't care what kind of car that you drove. He doesn't care if you need a haircut or not. He doesn't care if you have a six-pack or a 38-pack. He just doesn't care. God sees beyond the things that you and I can see. God sees the heart. And it's really tempting, Joy, to build a pillar that the whole world can see. That the world can lean on and touch and scratch and sniff and look at the gold and be excited about it. You know, I, it would be great to be a pillar in the community. But more than be a pillar in the community, I want to be a lily unto God. I want there to be unseen things in my life, in my heart, in my rhythms that you will never know about. But God will honor someday. I want God to see me in a prayer closet, praying before him, not so that I can get a word from heaven for a sermon, not so I can encourage you and your dysfunctional family, not so I can encourage my dysfunctional family. I, I want to be found in a prayer closet just so God knows that I'm building lilies to him. I'm doing something in the unseen that heaven is taking notice of and the world can't see it, but God can see it. Fasting is building the unseen. Make sure that you know this on your notes. Circle it, write it in, underline it. God sees the unseen. God sees the unseen. 
Some of you feel overlooked. Some of you feel undervalued. Some of you feel underutilized. God sees the unseen. Showing up to church is great. Putting a a quote or a scripture in your email signature block is great. Having a Jesus loves you bumper sticker is great. People see that. It's a pillar. Do it. Do it. Don't. Just watch how you're driving. You want to do all of those things for people to identify you as a Christian? That, that is great, and you should. It's a pillar. But are you building lilies in your life? Are you building rhythms and things in your heart and in your life and in your relationship with Jesus that the world can't see? God looks at the heart. God looks at the unseen. I'm going to say that so many times in the sermon. That may be the only thing that you take away from our time together. God sees it. And some of us are trying to hide things and keep things in the dark. Let me just remind you, God sees it. He sees it all. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly. God sees it. God looks at the heart. God sees when we take the hammer and the chisel and the hours and hours we read the word when nobody sees it. The hours and hours that we pray when nobody sees it. When we fast and nobody sees it. When we give and nobody sees it. When we forgive. When we resist temptation. When we sacrifice for him and, and nobody is there to say, boy, God sees it all. God is interested in the things that nobody sees. I have been praying really, really hard on a certain area of my leadership as of late. And the temptation of leadership is to do things that everyone sees because it feels fruitful. Ah, the people see that you're working on X, Y, and Z. Just move in that area. The topic, just so that you know, is is discipleship. How do I grow people? I don't want to be a church where you just show up on Sunday and we have a good encounter with Jesus. You... You feel a move of God, you feel some wind blowing, you, you, your, your lip quivers a little bit, but you never change. You never transform. We never transform. I don't want to play church. Jesus, the great commission was not go and build great churches. It was go and make disciples. And within the span of 30 days, two different people gave me books on discipleship. I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I'm reading it. I'm offended at both of them. What's the quick win? What's the quick win? And God's not letting me go for the quick win. He's having me do some things in the unseen. And it's not fun. And it's not sexy. And it's not exciting. But we're not here to build Pillars, we're here to build lilies.
Listen, if you have said yes to Jesus, I just want you to understand that you aren't complete. We aren't complete until we have a part that people don't see. If you were showing up to the church and that's the only Jesus you ever get, you are lacking something. If the only time you open your Bible is when you show up because of an accountability group or someone has, has coerced you to be there, so you play along, but you never sit and wrestle with the text your own at home on your own time. If there's not something going on in your life and your relationship with Jesus that others can't see, you're not complete. That doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Look, look at your neighbor and say, stay with us. Stay with us. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean you're going to bust hell wide open. You're just not complete. And maybe you've been sensing that there's something lacking in your life. There might be something lacking because there's not something that's secret in your life, secret that's building traction for God. When I was in high school, I went to Pflugerville High School, PHS, class of 1993. Any uh, villain, villains in here, Pflugervillians? Hawk. <laughs> PHS, any PHS people? PHS. Oh, that's right. P oh, man, three wonderful, amazing men went to PHS right here. Brian, Troy, and Trey. This is amazing. Uh, well, we, when we were there, we made it good. I don't know what it is now. I don't take any credit for what it is right now. But when we were there, we made it good. I, I remember in high school, I would skip school. I was a believer, and we were in a singing group, Southern Gospel group. My family and I, I played bass and I sang. And we were like weekend warriors. So we'd get on the bus, we'd, we traveled the southern states, and we sang and did revivals and that kind of thing. Um, and I loved Jesus so much in high school. St still do. But particularly in high school, I loved him very, very, very much with not a lot of wisdom. And so I would skip school to go to Flugerville Park, the park that I now live like across the street from. And I would read my Bible all day in my car. Now, I don't advise you to skip school to read your Bible. I don't think that was very wise. But, but that's, kind of, that's kind of the draw that I want you to look for. I want you to walk that edge where, man, God is calling you to do some risky things just to spend time with him. God is calling you to the, to the edge of what you're used to just to be alone with him, just to spend time with him. I hope that in the coming days and weeks that there is there's some stuff in the secret place of your life that you can't help but do, not for a thank you, not for an attaboy, not for a pat on the back, but you just can't help but do it because you just love the Lord so much. Jesus told the Pharisees that they are like whitewashed tombs, but... Inside, they were full of dead men's bones. I don't want that to be me. I don't want everything to look all right on the outside, but inwardly, I'm wasting away. God is looking at what other people can't see. 
In the Old Testament, there were some dietary laws, you know, diet restrictions in the Old Testament. We get to now eat whatever we want. Thank God we can eat bacon, and that's just God's gift to the Gentiles. And Leviticus 11.3 says, You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. All right? These are the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11. You can go in, read all about it. Chew the cud. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it's so common that there's, there's even like this slang, chew the cud. So if you type in on Google, chew the cud, it's going to give you a definition, a slang definition that means to meditate or ponder before answering, to be in deep thought, to ruminate. Okay, so the diet restriction said that you can eat anything that has a split hoof and chews the cud. Now, chewing the cud, the animal would eat the food, and then they would vomit in their mouth, chew it again, and swallow it. Yeah, right? Isn't that what cows do? That's what makes it good steak. It's like pre-marinated. I don't mind. I love me a good steak. If you're a vegetarian, let me just move on. God bless all the vegetarians in the house. God bless you. I'm just thankful that we can eat anything, anything we want. But here, it said that they could only eat certain things. So they could not eat things that didn't have a split hoof and did not chew the cud. All right? And, and it goes on, this chapter goes on to list several animals that they could not eat. I mean, they couldn't eat buzzards or bats. I think I'd be okay fasting that for the rest of my life. Maybe. I don't need to eat buzzards or, or bats. Don't worry, though, Pedro, you can eat crickets. Um, you can eat crickets if you want. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that you can and that you can't eat. But in particular, the, the biggest one that stood out to me was swine, pigs. Now, let's just, a moment of honesty. How many of you really like, really like pork? Okay, good. How many of you were now conflicted because you know that pork's not good for you? Not biblically, but I won't go into the details of why pork's not good for you. But you know that pork's not good for you, but you just love how it tastes. Anyone that conflict? That's me. Oh, man, I love pork, and I'll get off of it. And I feel like Blanca's watching me right now online, and she's like, I can get you some oregano pills, Trey. I can clear out the pork. No, I've, I've, I don't eat pork too often because I know what it does to my body, but... I love, I love pork. And here in the text, it says that they can, cannot eat swine. Now, here's the thing about pigs, okay? They have a split hoof, so that's a check mark against the regulation. But they don't chew the cud. So the outside looks okay, but the inside doesn't work. Okay? You stand with me? The outside, if it, just to judge a pig from the outside, you would think, I could eat that. That, that fits. That's okay. That's, that's allowed. It's all good. But the inner workings of the pig ain't right. So I, I came up with this idea of the spirit of the swine. Now, this isn't a real spirit. It's just like the mode of a pig, the thought of a pig. The spirit of the swine is this. On the outside, you look like a Christian, but what's on the inside is not capable of allowing the word of God to change you. So you dress the part, you carry the Bible, you've got the bumper sticker, 
you listen to whatever radio station it is and blast it up loud so everyone knows that you're listening to Natalie Grant at the stoplight. Whatever it is that you do outwardly to let everyone know you're a believer, but then you don't know how to chew the cud. You don't know how to let the word of God get inside of you and then bring it back up to ruminate and think about and wrestle with it and then swallow it again so that it transforms you and bring it up again so that you can think about it and you can renew your mind and you can change your family and you can be transformed. Are you with me? On the outside, it looks great, but the word ain't changing you. Because there are some hidden things in our life. We need to build more lilies. Our pillars look great. You are a pillar in the community. But are there lilies in the quiet places of your home? Maybe that's why demons asked to go into the swine. Because they, they knew that they could be most productive in someone that looks right on the outside but ain't right on the inside. The spirit of the swine says, I don't have to pray, I'll let the pastor pray. The spirit of the swine says, I don't have to give, they got plenty of money. The spirit of the swine says, I don't need to read the word, I'll let my wife read the word. I don't need to serve others. I have my hands full with my own responsibilities. The word of God, if it's not getting inside of you and transforming you, you are smelling like swine. The Bible is how we get clean on the inside. I don't want to be clean on the outside, but unclean on the inside. You know, Adam, as long as Adam walked with God, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there the whole time. Adam walked in the garden with God the whole time the tree was there. And as long as he was walking with God, what was on the outside never got on the inside of Adam. But it was in the moment where he chose to hide in relationship with his creator that suddenly the things on the outside began to get on the inside of Adam. God is looking for what no one else can see. Solomon had 700 concubines and 300 wives. <laughs> I don't know how wise he was. 700 concubines, 300 wives. Uh, somebody, somebody said he had that many so he could come home and find one in a good mood. But I don't agree with that. I think that's a dumb joke. I don't. That's just a stupid joke. I don't agree with that at all. Look at your wife and say, that does not apply to us at all, honey. When Saul, you got to admit, that's just funny, though. That's just funny. That's just funny. Listen, when Solomon built, not Solomon, yes, Solomon. When Solomon built the temple to God, all them wives came to talk to him. Many of them were from Egypt and other places, and they served other gods. And they said, hey, you built a, God, a temple to your God. We want you to build a temple to our God, Baal. And so Solomon did. And, and we know from history that Solomon spent just as much money 
time and effort building a temple to Baal as he did to Yahweh. Tons of time, tons of energy, tons of money. But he did one thing different. There was only one difference between the temple to Yahweh and the temple to Baal. He didn't include the lilies on the temple to the false gods. Because he understood that the temple to the false god didn't have a god in heaven looking down at the temple. Like Solomon's temple built to Yahweh. Will you stand to your feet? Jesus gathers his disciples and he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 27, he says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, meaning it's effortless for them. It's effortless. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory, Solomon in all of his, all of his money, from the ground up, he looked amazing. He looked powerful. He looked rich and glorious. But Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You can build pillars the rest of your life. And they can be tall and big and strong and covered with gold. They will never compare to the lily that you build in your life in the unseen realm of your life for God. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you that in our fasting, we are building lilies to you. In our prayer, we are carving lilies to you. In our giving, in our serving, in our forgiving of others, surrendering of our own agendas and our, our pride and our ego, we are building lilies to you. God, I thank you. I thank you that even though the world may judge us on the outside, you see the heart. So God, I ask that you would help us in the coming days and weeks to continue to serve you and honor you in the secret places of our life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 All right, I want to remind you that next Sunday is the Homeless Outreach, 2 p.m. Next Sunday, bring sleeping bags and gloves, socks, whatever it is that you want to do, hats to bless them. And we will see you next Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.